subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod Blogs community at tripods.com, Jerry's place for canine amputees and their people. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Tripod Talk Radio, and today is Tuesday, May 2nd, 2017. Today we are going to talk about amputation and the impacts it has on the bodies of dogs and cats. We'll discuss front versus rear leg amputations, the effect of age on patients, and some of the advances being made in the field of pet prosthetics. Joining us today, we are honored to have Dr. Denise Marcelin-Little, who is an acclaimed veterinary surgeon and professor of orthopedic surgery at North Carolina State University. He is known worldwide for his design and use of custom orthopedic implants in dogs and cats. And we have a lot to discuss, so we're just going to go ahead and get started. Thank you for joining us, Doctor. Uh, My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Hi, Doctor. This is Renee uh, speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to get into this discussion. It's a real pleasure. I'm uh, I'm always thinking about amputation in one form or another, and talking about it is very useful for me, very important. I'm happy to share my experiences with you guys today. Well, thank you. It it is is important. so important for us to be able to talk to um, experts like yourself um, because, you know, as you know, when, when somebody's cat or dog is going to lose a leg, they have a, a million questions. And um, mm-hmm. so we're turning exactly. to you today to, to help us with them. Um, I, would, I would first like to just uh, ask you, how did you get interested in veterinary orthopedics? Um, is this a field that you always knew that you would pursue um, I think so. I was very interested as a kind of teenager uh, in uh, engineering, kind of building things, and I was interested in companion animals. And so orthopedics is really at the crossroads between building things and um, and, man- and you know, and treating for or caring for companion animals. So I think that I was kind of hesitant a bit at first uh, between engineering and veterinary medicine, but after vet school, I had the opportunity to uh, get into orthopedics, and I think that's very fulfilling for me. It, it allows me to to blend uh, the, the creation and, and development of implants and, and helping animals with orthopedic problems, so it, it fits my personality. It's great. Well, we're we're glad you decided to to choose orthopedics because, you know, we are we are all about uh, helping animals uh, live and have a great quality of life, and 
a long time ago, you know, if a, a dog or cat was going to lose a leg, I mean, a veterinarian would instantly tell the the owner to uh, put the animal down because, you know, oh, animals mm-hmm. can't live on three legs. And we know that they can live on three legs now, but now what we're starting to understand is that they can have a, a better quality of life if uh, amputation is, is the last resort and we can use other methods that folks mm-hmm. like yourself have developed. Um, so, you know, we, we definitely want to talk about your work in implants and prosthetics, but um, first let's, let's talk about the, the basics about amputation. That's something, like you said, you're always thinking about it and, and trying to avoid it, obviously. But um, first, um, tell me, why, what are the typical reasons that veterinarians will, will take a, a pet's leg off? Um, amputation is relatively common. We don't have absolute numbers. To my knowledge, it would be interesting to kind of compile the number of amputees. There are amazing statistics about amputation on the human side, and there are uh, you know, a lot of amputation being performed. Uh, on the human side, you know, it's a vascular problem maybe the majority of the time, and there are a, f- a few amputations that are performed for trauma reason, but they are kind of fewer and far between. On the animal side, trauma, uh, you know, complex fracture, crushing injuries to the lower part of a leg, generally as a result of a motor vehicle accident, is the seemingly the the, the major cause of amputation. We we in dogs and cats. We see amputations also performed to address tumors, particularly bone tumors, but also in soft tissue sarcoma and some other tumors uh, that affect limbs where you kind of remove the pain caused by a tumor. This amputation doesn't seem to be making dogs that have tumors live much longer, but they definitely alleviate the pain associated and they uh, with the tumor, and they control kind of obviously uh, locally, they allow the removal of the tumor completely. And the problem with tumors is that we got to remove them by uh, removing a little bit of tissue around them. It's maybe sometimes about an inch of tissue in all directions around them. So if you have a tumor kind of in the middle of your leg, it becomes difficult to remove the tumor and to save the leg. So we also see limbs that happen to be incomplete, partial limbs, sometimes only a little bit, maybe half of a foot is missing or it's missing the portion below the wrist. And practically at this uh, state in our medicine, we often will remove the remainder of the leg just because the portion that is left is too short or is not solid enough at you know the lower part does not really have a pad and dogs and cats don't understand they try to use a limb that's really not meant to be used in in its current shape or in or condition and so we'll remove pay, uh, limbs in patients that have developmental abnormalities that are missing portions of their limbs or or have other deformities or abnormalities of their leg there are a few rare other situations, vascular things, the vascular problems, wounds, non-healing wounds, infected wounds. They are common in people, but they're very rare in dogs and cats. 
dogs and cats tend to heal quite well in many instances even big wounds can can heal well but sometimes the logistics cost compli- complications associated with treating a big a large wound lead to an amputation yes i we have seen some um really interesting cases where um a member's dog had to lose a leg because of a snake bite or a spider bite. Um, yes, exactly. Something, mm-hmm. Yeah, very unusual. I did write a paper a long time ago about a patient that had a, a snake bite to his ankle and then first we repair, we kind of you know, worked with his ankle and then later on it became clear the ankle actually had a, a fungal infection and then that leg ended up being amputated to save the dog's life from that uh, unusual fungal disease. So those things are, you know, relatively unusual. There are many snake bites and spider bites that do not lead to an amputation on the bright side. But once in a while, you know, wounds can get extremely serious, and we've got a we losing a limb, or we have to amputate a limb to save a life. Mhm, mhm, yes, and and we always prefer that the <laughs> life gets saved. So, uh, you know, you'd mentioned that uh, sometimes you'll you'll remove a leg if if there's just not a pad on the end of the limb that's left because the animal tries to use it in the in mm-hmm. the wrong way. And um, we've we've seen that where um, some vets will will prefer to leave that leg there and and in the old days i guess they would say oh the animal could could use the leg anyways go ahead and leave it there but um one of the the big questions that we have in our community is why do some vets do things that way why do some vets choose to remove the entire limb and some only remove part of it even even in a situation mm-hmm. like um you know if if there's a car accident like like why do they choose the mid-femur amputation versus all the way up to the hip sort of thing? And I was hoping we could get your, your insight on that. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the main, I mean, the true answer to your question is why do people do different things? And the answer is they do different things because we don't really have a standard of care that say if, you know, your dog has a problem at that level, you will amputate at this level. So in other words, we're still in a little bit of a, an early stage in, in, in orthopedics or in veterinary medicine where people are free to do kind of what they want. I think that was maybe, you know, 100 years ago on the human side, people would behave the same way. You know, you kind of Everybody, you know, no one wants to make the wrong decision, but people really don't know. There is no absolute standard of care about what to do with a tumor that's affecting this part of the tibia or that part of the foot. Mm-hmm. So people end up making decisions that are, medic, you know, they are deemed medically appropriate and also logistically appropriate. So they will say, uh, medically, you know, if I have a tumor to the tibia, I will need to go up maybe one joint and that leaves the knee. And then, you know, if a dog has a leg that stops at the knee, it won't do much good. Uh, so we will remove it mid-femur. Or we will disarticulate the femur. You could go both ways. I don't know that anybody will, will uh, you know, get upset if you want 
at the idea of going mid-femur versus disarticulating the femur, many people prefer mm -hmm. leaving mid-femur because a portion of the leg remains and it tends to cover a fairly vulnerable part of the body, the inguinal area where you have uh, the penis, for example, if it's a male, so the male uh, will will look more normal. The rear end of the dog will look more normal. The femur is not particularly helpful. You could say maybe it helps with balance, so it normalizes gait a little bit, but scientifically we don't really know that for a fact. Sometimes mm. people say, well, leaving that femur may present a problem. It might increase the chance of a tumor being in that bone or an infection, and we really have to have a wide margin uh, of a safety margin from what the problem was, and they will disarticulate at the femur, at the top of the femur, at the femoral head, sometimes even uh, removing a portion of the pelvis if there is a tumor in the femur itself. Sometimes a portion of the pelvis is performed. That surgery is more invasive and technical, but it, again, it can save a life. So that would be called a hemipelvectomy, and that, that is not sometimes mm -hmm. done as part of a, a slightly more aggressive amputation. So in summary, there is no absolute standard of care, so people are going to maybe make their own decision or offer their recommendation. There are reasons why we would want to leave a portion of the femur, and there are reasons why we would want to remove a portion of the femur, and in the absence of these reasons, maybe that's you know surgeon's preference or owner's preference if, if the owner can manage to influence their surgeon. I'll say one more thing. For injuries affecting the very lower part of a leg, maybe, you know, the toes. We see some tumors sometimes affecting the base of the toes, the nail bed or the toes mm -hmm. themselves. Uh, then sometimes a patient or a surgeon will be tempted to remove the entire leg. And I think at that stage, it's often more a culture or a reason of convenience or logistics that the surgeons say, maybe we could do a prosthesis, but I don't, you know, I'm not trained to do prosthesis. I'm not comfortable maybe with guaranteeing success with a prosthesis. I don't have a prosthetist that works with me. It's going to be complicated, assuming, expensive. So success is not guaranteed and therefore I can remove the leg and most dogs do reasonably well on three legs, so I'm simplifying my life and everybody else's life, and let's amputate that leg, and we'll go from there. So partial amputation might not be necessary for some very distal problems below the wrist of the ankle, but the culture and society, we're all busy, and we don't like failures, so a partial amputation uh, appears to be a bit daunting to some surgeons and, and some owners. You know, uh, yes, I, I would I would totally agree with that. We have seen many, many members come to us where the dog or cat had a problem with just the paw, and mm -hmm. the veterinarian was recommending a full amputation. And we said, you know, you might want to look into the possibility of a of a prosthetic because I mean, if only the exactly. paw is affected, why not try to save that whole leg? We we love to see that. Um, I think so, similarly. So when, um, mm -hmm, I agree with you. Uh -huh. Well, yeah, and so we, we just tell them, you know, you may, may want to get a second opinion because um, that could mean the difference between a, 
a dog with, uh, you know, chronic um, spinal issues as they get older and, and, and a dog who doesn't have them. But um, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that in a, in a bit. Um, right now, let's, let's keep on this conversation about amputees. Um, I would love to ask you, what are the known differences between front leg amputees and rear leg amputees as far as their, their orthopedic, you know, needs and, and things like that go? Um, how, does, how does the loss of a limb in either side of the body affect animals? Um, can we get your input on that? Yes, I think it all starts with understanding that the front leg carries roughly twice as much weight as or resists twice as much weight as the back leg. So it's, you know, kind of losing a front leg is like losing two back legs uh, in Mm -hmm. some way. And so also you imagine that having a single front leg makes the head and neck uh, become more involved in kind of creating a bit of a pendulum to try to shift weight back uh, to the pelvic limbs and the residual front leg. So the dog will develop some spontaneous strategies to try to shift weight back by kind of raising its neck and head and, and, and having a slightly shorter stand space during their gait where is a portion of the gait where the leg is on the ground so they'll they'll have a more you know a more altered gait um, with a forelimb amputation than with a pelvic limb amputation shifting weight forward is very easy or easier for dogs there is less weight that has to be accounted for when that back leg is missing and so dogs have to work less hard and are more successful and walking around on three legs when they lose a back leg than when they lose a front leg. So I the um, the altered gait of a of a front leg amputee is is very obvious. I mean, we saw that in our own dog, and and we see that our our dog who we have now is that he's a rear leg amputee, and we he has a an altered gait in the sense that he moves side to side, and like his spine is like an S shape when he walks Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. to me that looks like eventually it's going to affect his his quality of life if if we're not careful i mean do you see that in in rear leg amputees Uh, not scientifically i would say that's an excellent concern but and i'm gonna kind of step back from your question a little bit and say Beyond, you know, the, the clear difference that walking on three legs is easier when you're missing a back leg than a front leg, there is mm-hmm. the concern about, you know, so that would be the present. And then the future would be how well are you going to be doing a month, a year, and 10 years from now. And I tend to not be particularly worried about the future i tend to be more worried about what we can do to make the future safer in other words i would say there are clear issues that will protect dogs from uh, you know kind of future problems and they include identifying comorbidities other problems that might be present in them very early to kind of manage them as well as possible. So understanding what is wrong but has not been found out, hasn't been discovered yet, is very important. I think that's maybe the first thing. Uh, 
The second thing would be having a body that can take the the excess work that an amputation brings is the second thing that could be done or should be done and mm-hmm. um meaning that I tell people with you know wounds and care for amputees that suddenly uh weight body weight is critically important and much more important than it would be in on a four-legged dog. So understanding how healthy bones and joints are in the remaining three legs, understanding how important it is to be lightweight and strong. And so the core strength, you know, the the abdominal and back strength and the strength of the residual limb also becomes a much bigger priority in amputees. And then the third thing I worry about is what is this dog going to be doing to stay strong or become stronger? But also, what is this dog going to be avoiding to avoid injuring himself or herself in such a way that that unique leg, whether it's a front leg or a back leg, is going to now you know, have this daunting problem that is becoming critically important. You know, it, it's challenging to do surgery on the single remaining leg whether it's a front leg or a back leg so anything we can do to prevent injuries or understand disease early on on that residual leg should be done so i think by by doing those things uh screening the dog very well um and uh, having a very strong and and lightweight dog and engaging in a lot of good activities we don't have to worry too much about the future. I love those recommendations. That is, that, thank you for that because um, we we encourage our our members to um, seek the uh, the input of a, a veterinary um, certified rehab therapist, um, mm-hmm. even if they think their dog is healthy, to or cat, mm-hmm. um, to go out there and just get them evaluated as soon as they lose that leg so that they can find out what is what is going to be needed for this particular animal. Because as I understand it, different breeds, um, as far as dogs go, different breeds have different um, gates when they lose a leg. So a bulldog gate will be very different from a German shepherd gate. And um, yeah, I understand that it, it just affects their bodies differently. The gait is very different. You know, how well your body is put together is kind of a unique thing. And this, you know, maybe shepherds, you know, that are very crouched and have a different kind of a gait, suddenly we say, oh, it's an amputee, and they are, and it's much more challenging for them to move around than, obviously, we all know that, like, border collies move around very well and are very agile, but bulldogs or shepherds, you know, have their own challenges built in from how their body is put together. And the consequence on that are not scientifically known, but they have to be discussed kind of on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. And I, some, I would, let's be optimistic that in the future also I'm going to add we should have maybe like a checklist of things that should be evaluated in amputee the disease to worry about in specific breeds, you know, that that need to Mm -hmm. be particularly, uh, that dogs need to be screened for, 
maybe general guidelines on how to improve strength or minimize body weight, uh, what type of activities might be good for amputees. All these things, information could be provided and shared, developed first, then shared so you know, to help amputees as much as possible. I, I love that idea. You know, if every vet parent, a pet parent could leave the vet clinic with a, a checklist of, you know, mm-hmm. things to consider for their particular animal um, when they when they leave the office with one less leg. That that would be great. Some some standard yes. guidelines for people because a lot of people leave the vet clinic and they have no idea. There, a lot no, of, of uh, veterinarians. Yeah, they'll say they'll say, um, oh, go ahead and and just let your dog do what what he did before or your cat and. They come to us because there's an injury a year later, yeah. and it's it's tragic. Exactly. It's tragic. I wish everybody left knowing this this kind of information. So we thank you for sharing it with us. Um, and and while we're on the subject between differences of of uh, different types of amputees, um, what about young versus older amputees? Is is it better to lose a leg when an animal is young or older? And and what kind of challenges do you see for both types of age groups, whether it's a cat or a dog? I think uh, it's better to lose a leg not too early and not too late. Uh, I'm particularly worried about young puppies losing a leg because the excess weight carried by the other three legs tend to lead to problems in these legs, whether it's if they have any joint problem, it's going to greatly accelerate the progression of joint disease. Something like elbow dysplasia or hip dysplasia will be accelerated, so they will have much more mm-hmm. pain in their residual uh, limb. But also it will lead to stretching tissues during growth, maybe even deforming their limbs, their bones, because the loads placed on these bones are going to be very asymmetric. You mentioned you have a dog missing a back leg, and their remaining back leg is used, is, is medialized, it's used so it's kind of in the middle of the body rather than the side of the body. And if that happens mm-hmm. when the dog is growing, that will influence the shape of their tibia and the shape of their femur, so they will have a deformity. <sighs> having a deformity to the bone then often or can lead to having a problem to the adjacent joints. The shoulder, for example, in, in young amputees become very loose. They have the shoulder is held together by a lot of muscles, and these muscles are not quite strong enough in young puppies to hold the shoulder together. So we'll see a lot of shoulder problems, a lot of deformities of the femur and tibia, maybe knee instability of the knee that are the consequence of having undergone an amputation too early in life. If you're very old and you lose a leg sometimes because you already have other comorbidities, maybe you're not particularly fit or you are overweight, sometimes you just can't get up at all and it becomes very heroic to try to rescue you. So to be a kind of a young adult in pretty good shape and losing a leg, again, I don't wish it on any dog, but when it has to happen, losing a leg kind of in the middle of life gives the opportunity to be healthy and dogs tend to adapt better. We have time to continue to stay strong or become stronger and lose weight, and then dogs can move around reasonably well. So that's better that way. And um, what about cats? Um, Does it matter for cats when they lose a leg? 
same idea. You know, if you see a young okay. amputee, they will they will have also uh, you know growth. The growth of bones in dogs and cats is is very dependent on the loads and the use of these limbs. So we'll see the similar issues in cats, except we have a little bit. They tend not to grow as much. Obviously, the average cat is a lot smaller than the average dog. And we tend mm-hmm. to have slightly lower expectations with regard to their mobility because they, you know, as long as they can get into the litter box and find their food and water and find a nice place to, you know, move around and play a little bit, we generally tend to have slightly lower expectations on mobility in cats than dogs. Ah, ah that makes sense. You know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned about how a leg will um, become deformed if a if an animal loses it too early, um, or the remaining leg will become deformed. Uh, because recently I saw a dog who's missing a front leg, and I hadn't seen her for many years. She lost her leg as a puppy, and I saw her now, and the dog is about 10 years old. And she's done very well, but her front leg is, is bowed outward. So it's, it's mm-hmm. very curved, and, and it looks like her she struggles more than the average amputee whose leg isn't yes. as straight as hers. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I imagine that there's some pain with that too. Yeah. And there is, you know, stress in joints. So these joints are at risk of additional injuries. So yeah, all these things are dangerous situations that can get worse very rapidly. Yes, and that's where your expertise in artificial limbs comes in. So now let's let's talk about that. And I I, I would love to hear what how did you get interested in in developing? I think you you called them transdermal implants. And um, how did mm-hmm. you when did you start doing that? I understand it was quite a while ago. Yeah, I I'm interested in all kinds of prosthesis, whether they are exoprosthesis that you, you know, wrap around a, a residual portion of a limb, but also the surgical prosthesis. I got interested in surgical prosthesis because I had seen a patient Marvin Olmsted operated back in the early 2000s, so 15, 17 years ago. And that I thought that surgery was interesting, uh, but maybe not quite as developed as it should be and so uh, around 2004 2005 we had the opportunity to uh, I had the opportunity to treat a patient that was missing both a cat that was missing both of his back legs and we started to develop um, implants at the time we had our first metal 3d printer so our our plan was to develop and 3d print implants and over time we've kind of increased the sophistication of these implants that are kind of customized to the patient and 3D printed and it's not ready for prime time. It's still a very investigative procedure that's long and long planning and complex rehearsals and and high cost and not a lot is known about the long term of these implants that are actually attached to the bone. The bone grows into them and then the skin grows into them ideally and they stick out at the bottom of the leg, but they are clearly, they can be quite successful. I have several patients that have had them for years, including a cat that has now has them for about 11 years that's doing quite well. And so they are, you know, we know as a proof of concept they can work. It's, it's kind of our job to make them more safe and easier and maybe cheaper 
so we can continue to expand on the idea and, and make it make that idea successful in the future. It's it's fascinating to see you. Uh, you had me look at a video of the 11 year old cat, and I I was stunned. I, the cat's gait beautiful, and and it moves around like any other four legged cat. Um, seems very happy and. I'm I'm thrilled because I, I do you see this as as the future for for animals and, and humans eventually I mean how how far how far ahead into the future can you see this being a routine surgery for animals so that they they can have a normal gait I think it's the future indeed you know we tend to look at what we're doing now what we're doing now is so much more sophisticated than what we were doing 30 or 40 years ago and so I think a generation from now that will become much more routine. It takes a lot of little incremental progress to have a better ingrowth of tissues into the implants and have have them become more resistant to infection. I think that's the key. Have their production become a little simpler and faster, but with advances in coatings and implant fabrication, I think we can achieve that in the next, you know, five to ten years. Wow, I can't wait. I cannot wait because it's it's so exciting. And I know my own dog could have benefited from that. Um, so mm-hmm. I I would just, um, I would love to talk about um, what is the, the most critical thing that, that a, a pet parent should know before amputation surgery? I mean, you know, can they inquire about the implants? Can't should they inquire about them? Are there other surgeons doing them? I mean, how, what should they know before the animal goes into surgery? Well, so I they would, can uh, make sure. Mm-hmm. I think oh, people should read. Yeah, sorry, I'm cutting you off, but I, I think no, people okay. should have access to information. And I think that information should be very neutral and objective and so sometimes it's hard to find information i think information has to come from somebody who or some entity that doesn't have a lot to gain by one way or another so i think it's a matter of Mm -hmm. having access to that information seeing where things are understanding just you know here we've talked about surgical implants we've talked a little bit about conventional prosthesis for patients who lose only a small portion of their legs And then we talked about having amputation at multiple levels. I think it's kind of needed to have a bit of an overview of uh, amputation options, and everybody should have access to that information, print it, bring it to their vet, send it to their vet ahead of time if they don't know it, or making sure that every vet receives it. And, you know, we can only hope for the best uh, from, from that point on. Yeah, I I know it's a lot of reading for people at a time when it's very very stressful, but uh, in the end it it does pay off. And and if they can prevent their animal from losing an entire leg and having the possibility of a prosthetic, I mean that would be fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. I exactly. I hope that more veterinarians out there are are looking towards the the kind of work that you're doing, so that you know mm. they can. They can look at all the options as well because I've seen where a lot of vets just they've always done without really seeing the greater yeah, possibilities it's a slow that are progress. happening. I yeah, think progress well, tends we... to be slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, it's too bad because I see what you're doing and I would I would love for it to become routine. Um, 
I just I want to address a, a quick question that um, one of our our members has, and uh, she would like to know your opinion on uh, aside from doing core strengthening exercises and um, rehabilitation therapy. Is there anything else that they can do to maintain the health of the remaining leg? You had talked about weight loss and um, and activities. Um, what can you get a little more specific on on what types of activ- activities you don't like seeing a three legged animal do mm-hmm. or dog or cat? I think it's important. It's an excellent question because the advice tends to be vague. You know, we don't have great list of exercise we understand generally speaking how to make your core stronger and how to make your limbs stronger you got to use them you got to use them safely uh, in other words uh, you can't uh, overuse them you shouldn't be doing things that are extremely intensive or rapid or stressful so you do an exercise that takes place maybe on a better surface a safe surface that's not too slippery at a reasonable speed so you don't have to do heroics in, you know, jumping enormous heights and so on. They are, you would have to look at a specific exercise and say this exercise, you know, works these types of muscles. It's an all-around exercise. All the muscles work. And then you would say, well, it's good. It, it exercises all the muscles. If you are trying to strengthen a specific portion of a leg, you could look for an exercise where extension of a specific joint or flexion of another joint is the desired activity. And then you would say, well, I want to promote extension of the hip. So then we are going to walk uphill or I want to promote flexion of the elbow. And then we are going to be clearing an obstacle that's five inches off the ground. So specific exercise can be done to achieve specific movement. With regards to the fear of injury, you would have to look at the dog. We go back to what we were talking about earlier, specific breeds have specific gait and specific joint motion. Some dogs are very square, very upright. Some dogs are more crouched or they are longer. And so we would also look at the shape of these legs. Some dogs are very bold. Some legs are very bold naturally. That's the way the, the dog grew. And so if a wrist is already pointing towards the outside, the inside of that wrist, the medial aspect of that wrist is is already working hard when the dog is walking. So we'll have to take that into account when we design activities. We'll say, well, we don't want a lot of impact on a joint that's already kind of leaning to the side because impact will primarily stress the inside of that leg. So if your leg is very straight and your body is in is very square, then you can pretty much do every exercise you want because exercise then does not really put particular stress on a portion of a leg. So there is Mm -hmm. both uh, an exercise-based decision-making that goes with what exercise do to limbs, but also a dog-specific decision-making that goes into doing these exercises so that we know that these particular exercises are not going to put a portion of a limb at risk. And that's why it's good to talk or work with somebody who has experience exercising dogs and palpating limbs. So the exercise can not only be adapted to the, the, the other three legs, but also to the specific shape of, and form of the patient. 
I love that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if you if you aren't sure what kind of exercise is appropriate, always always consult with a, a certified rehabilitation therapist. And the Tripods Foundation even has a grant to help people pay for the first cost uh, of their for their their first visit. We will we will pay up to two hundred dollars. So excellent. Um, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, we we love that. We really want people to to get educated and and um, help their their animal be healthy and strong. Um, what one final question from this member? Um, she wants to know what your thoughts are about supplements. Um, do you have any mm-hmm. opinions about them? I um, you know always want to keep an open mind with everything, and I also on the flip side want to know what the science and logic behind everything we do is. And in the case of supplements, they are not particularly useful in the big scheme of an amputee moving around. They might help mm-hmm. a tiny little bit as far as decreasing the inflammation that's already present in a joint that's you know, abnormal, in a leg that remains. In the big scheme of having pain-free mobility and staying strong and mobile, supplements are really not a big piece of that puzzle. They are not going to be where the emphasis should be placed. It's going to be critically important. Mm-hmm. You know, losing a pound is a lot more important than eating glucosamine for three months, for example, it's it's going to have a much more profound positive impact on the dog. So we have things that are above supplements on our priority list. You know, some supplements are more effective than others at alleviating joint pain, but as a go-to modality in all amputees, supplements don't make a lot of sense. Thank you for for clarifying that, and I I couldn't agree more. Losing weight, keeping it off. Let's let's shoot for that instead of um, buying a mm-hmm. bunch of supplements yeah, that may or not... may not work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Well, that I cannot thank you enough. We have um, spent so much time with you today, and it's it's been really really valuable. So we. We appreciate it. Thank you, and um, we will be posting our, our interview on on our blog and um, just keep sharing all of the wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you so much for being here today. I enjoyed it very much. I hope to be back. It was great, and we I thank you and your organization for all the good work you're doing. Yes, thank you very much for your time today, Doctor, and thank you for the wonderful you're doing. Listeners can learn more about that at cbm.ncsu.edu and find all past Tripod Talk radio podcasts and many more helpful resources at tripods.com. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts. And claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.